Good morning. That was the most orderly Palm Sunday presentation I've ever, <laughs> I've ever seen. Uh, the crowd was uh, pretty staid there. Um, you know, as we enter into this Easter week, and this is Holy Week, uh, I reflected back on um, Easter, how Easter was for me growing up. And I don't know how it was for you, like what kind of household you grew up in, or what kind of, you know, like um, if you grew up in a Christian family. But I have a lot of fond memories of Easter. It's not that my family was super spiritual or that they were really strong churchgoers, but Easter always had a certain significance. And I think 30, 40 years ago, um, you know, or longer, Right? Easter was, I think, a bigger part of everybody's life right? here in America. I remember in school, everybody's spring break was Easter week. Right? It was, now everybody's spring break is, you know, is, is different. Um, vacation was actually called Easter vacation, not just spring break. When I was growing up, there wasn't a hypersensitivity to talking about Jesus or talking about going to church or Christianity like it is, like there is now. Right, and finally, people made a point, I think, of dressing up and of coming to church on Easter Sunday. I think they or the, the community felt like it was significant. In high school, I remember a bunch of us would spend the night at our friend's house the night before Easter Sunday. So on Saturday, we'd go to our friend's house, and he lived pretty far away, like 30, 40 minutes away, um, just so we could go to sunrise service at his church. Right? You remember, do you remember sunrise services? 6 a.m. After that service was done, then we'd drive all the way back to our church for Easter breakfast and, and for worship service. And we'd be okay for the first half of the service. You know, there would be like a children's presentation. There would be worship. But the second half of the service, when the pastor came up to preach, oh, man. <laughs> it was like lights out, right? Like you could barely keep your eyes open, right? All our friends, their, their heads nodding and stuff. Right? That doesn't happen here, though. Thank God, right? No, no. After church then, you know, after worship service, our family would go, and we would go uh, to our relative's house usually. And I had cousins my age, and so we would go, and we would have Easter lunch or Easter dinner. Right? So it was like a whole week of activities during Easter vacation. So I have a lot of fond memories of Easter growing up, even though they weren't you know, all that spiritual. But I also thought, I also thought of all the people that I would see on Easter Sunday. Right? All the people that I knew later on weren't following the Lord. So they would come to church on Easter Sunday, and it would be good to see them. But later on during the year, you wouldn't see them at church. And later on, I would know that you know, they, they weren't going to church and they weren't following the Lord. But we would see them. Right? We would see them on Easter. We would see them on Christmas. And sometimes we refer, we refer to them as CEOs. 
right? Christmas and Easter only type of people. Right? Some, I've heard some say they're Christers. Right? Christmas and Easter. And I think we, we all know people like that. And whether they came out of obligation or tradition, I can't help but think that they never really understood who Jesus was. Just like Susan talked about in the call to worship. They, they, they didn't understand. And today we enter into the most sacred week of the church calendar. And I think God gives us these traditions, these holidays, to always help us remember what they mean and what God has done for us. And Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week. And we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, his last days leading up to the cross. And though Palm Sunday was and is a celebration of Christ the King, the people lining the streets that day, they gravely misunderstood who he was and what he came to do. And so I, I don't want any of us today leaving the church not understanding who Jesus was and what his purpose is in our lives. Let's ask the Lord to, to, to speak to us this morning and to bless our time. Father, we come before you, Lord. We gather together as a church family, and we are so, um, so thankful, Lord, for Easter season and for today, Palm Sunday. Lord, we thank you for your triumphal entry. We thank you, Lord, for how you are worthy of our praise and worship. But I pray that you would speak to us this morning. You would help us to just get into your word, Lord, and to understand who you are and what you came to do and that we would take that and plant it in our hearts, and that you would uh, just uh, grow, Lord, our relationship with you and draw us closer and closer to you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, and I'll read verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey there, a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to daughter Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! To the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. 
Jesus is culminating three years of ministry here. The past three years, he's gathered his disciples and he's proclaimed the good news of God's kingdom by teaching, by healing, by casting out evil spirits. He's extended God's hand of love and mercy to the poor, to the marginalized. And he's demonstrated God's sovereign authority over nature and mankind by his miracles. Now he enters Jerusalem for this final week of his earthly life. It's kind of like when you go to high school or college, right? and you're in, you're in school and you study, you're in classes for three, four, five years, you know, or for some of us, maybe more. Right? And you study and you focus on your subjects and your classes, but at the end of that time, right, you turn your focus to graduation. You turn your focus to what's ahead. You look to the future. And Jesus here has turned his focus to the future, to what's ahead of him. Matthew 20, 17 through 19, the chapter right before this one says, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and on the way he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Okay, I want you to notice the transition here. A shift or a change in the narrative from Jesus' ministry of the past three years to a focus on his final, ultimate objective of bearing the cross. So let's talk about transition for a moment. Because I think change and transition are, are big things in how we look at life. I think in many ways we are always, always looking for change in our lives. Right? Who here wants a change in their, in their job status? Or a change in their financial situation? Right? Hopefully upwards, hopefully better who wants a change in the quality of your relationships, your marriage, your parenting, your friendships? How about a change in your health and the condition that you have to live with? Who wants to see a change or improvement in the situation in the Ukraine and in the world around us, a turn from the violence and the, atro the atrocities that we're seeing? I think if we're honest, we're always hoping for change in our lives. Well, the people here in Matthew 21, they, they wanted a change in their lives. They were desperate for change. See, the people that lined the streets, you know, the ones that these kids represented, the people that lined the streets that day in Jerusalem, they were a conquered people. They were defeated they lived under the heavy hand of the Roman Empire. They were harassed and oppressed. They weren't free to come and go as they please and do what they wanted as a people. So when they heard about this Jewish prophet 
from Nazareth, who could raise people from the dead, who could calm the storms of the sea, who could heal people with a word or a touch, who didn't fear the Romans. And their hopes, their expectations went through the roof. This past week I learned that 200 years before Jesus, a Jewish leader, Simon Maccabeus, he entered Jerusalem to the praises of the people and the waving of palm branches. Right? Does that sound familiar? 200 years before Jesus. And he did this after he had secured Israel's political independence from the control of the Greeks. Now, 200 years is a long time, but I'm sure the Jewish people knew their history. And they had flashbacks that day. They must have thought, God is doing the same thing all over again. And like back to the future, they thought that Jesus would come as a conquering king, ready to win Israel's independence back from his oppressors. And this is what drove the frenzy of the people that day. Verse 5 says, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. And they honored Jesus like royalty by spreading their cloaks and their palm branches. And they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, which means, Lord, save us now. But they weren't referring to forgiveness of their sins. They weren't referring to eternal life in Christ as we understand it. They wanted, to, they wanted Jesus to free them from their captivity. See, we're so desperate for change sometimes that we project our desires on God himself. And I think we do this a lot in life. We project on other people what we want or expect from them, even if it's not who they are. We create expectations that shouldn't be there. You know, I'm on the board of the school that our youngest daughter, Ellie, goes to. And we hear complaints, right, at the school board level. We hear complaints of well-meaning parents that say that their child is not excelling or developing in this way academically or this way socially or this way behaviorally. And these are all important things, but at times I think they project. They project things on the school and the teacher that shouldn't be there. Right? That the school or the teacher is not responsible for every developmental issue that the child may have. Does that make sense? Right? Spoken like a true board member, right? Like, no, it's not a... And the danger, beloved, is that we turn Jesus into something that he's not. We form him into the Messiah that we want him to be instead of the Messiah that he is. In my seminary class this past quarter, we talked about two common ways that people approach God. Okay, and they're very simplistic, but they draw out these common misconceptions Right, that people have about God. The first is God, the Santa Claus. 
right? Our culture is steeped in the myth of Santa Claus. And I know it's weird to be talking about Santa Claus right, during Easter season. But what do we know about Santa Claus? Other than he lives in the North Pole and wears a big red suit. Right? That he gives. He gives gifts. He gives presents. Right? He gives and he makes very few demands on us or our kids. Many people think of God this way. Theologian Miroslav Falf says, here's the thinking. God is an infinitely rich, always available, and unfailingly generous giver. Or at least, that's what we feel a God worthy of divinity ought to be. God gives without conditions and without demands. As the sun shines and a spring flows, so God gives and solves our problems and fulfills our desires and makes us feel good. Right? There's some truth to that, but that's not how God works. His goal and his purpose is not to meet your expectations and to fulfill your wishes like Santa Claus does. On top of that, God does make demands of us. He wants us to grow, grow in our love for him, grow in our love for others, in serving him, right? They're good for us, but the commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, Paul's epistles, are filled with instructions for believers to follow. God is not like Santa Claus. Another way that people approach God is God the negotiator. Many people try to make deals with God. It goes something like this. God, if you do something for me, right, heal me of this. Get me out of this situation. Do a miracle. Then I'll do something for you. I'll go to church. I'll read my Bible. Right? I'll stop committing this sin. Right? Or it could work the other way around. If I do something for you, God, then you have to do something for me. Right? Have you ever prayed like that? Sometimes we think of God as a negotiator, willing to make deals with us, as if we're equals, or if we ha as if we have something right, that God needs. It doesn't work that way. God is not a negotiator. Again, Miroslav Volf, the theologian, says, the God hanging on the cross for the salvation of the world is not a negotiating God. On the cross, God is not setting up terms of a contract that humans need to fulfill in order to get what they want. God's goods are not for sale. You can't buy them with money or good deeds. God doesn't make deals. God gives. I love that. God gives. The blessings we receive are not because we deserve them or because God owes it to us. God gives and he takes away out of his holy love his sovereign will, and his eternal plan. But he doesn't make deals like he's just another guy.
So what, what happens? What happens when we realize that God isn't who we thought he was? Right? That he isn't the God we expect? Or more specifically, he isn't the God that we want in the moment? The Santa Claus God, the negotiator God, or the God that always makes us feel good? What happens? Yeah, we stop coming. We stop believing. Maybe we turn into Christmas and Easter only type of people. And there again, I say, did we really ever understand who God is? God is good. God is sovereign. And he has a purpose and a plan way beyond our understanding. And it's not just for today or tomorrow or next week. It's for eternity. The question is, can we trust him to be our God? Life is filled with disappointments and hardships. And I don't mean to minimize any of these things. Jesus tells us straight up in John 16, that in this world, we will have trouble. But how we deal with disappointment in life and our unmet expectations and maintain our faith in who God is is so important. Unfortunately, the people lining the streets of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they wanted Jesus to be something that he wasn't. They wanted a political, a military leader who would liberate them from the Romans and establish their own sovereign state. And it wasn't because Jesus didn't have the power to do it or that he lacked compassion. But he had a much greater purpose in mind. And so the people's shouts of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, would eventually turn to crucify him. Because they couldn't deal with their disappointments and their unmet expectations. Here's the bottom line. Jesus didn't come to meet our expectations. He came to meet our needs. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have many wants and expectations, but this, that is our need right there. This is what Jesus saw when he came to town. People separated from God and without hope in the world. And he loved the people so much, and he loves us so much, that he would not deviate from his destiny on the cross. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This is what the Son of God came to do. He came to die for us that we might 
be brought near by his blood. Our world, right, it's a mess. Our world needs peace. It needs justice, mercy, reconciliation. But what it needs first and foremost is Jesus. In fact, these things never truly come apart from him. And this goes for all the things that you and I want for. Our need is to be brought near to Christ. And that doesn't mean that we don't lay our requests before God, that we give him, that we don't give him our burdens or seek his help in our daily lives. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But we seek God for who he truly is. In Matthew 21.10, it says, the whole city, back to our passage, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Who is this? So again, when I think of all the people that have come to church on Easter, on Easter Sundays in past years, right? They would have joined us together here in the sanctuary. They would have worshipped with us side by side. They would have shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David, yet never really grasped who he was. They eventually turned away. And I wish we would have portrayed a truer picture of who God is. Because although he isn't like Santa Claus, right, he doesn't negotiate. And his ultimate goal is not to meet all of our expectations. He is good. He is sovereign. He is trustworthy and faithful. And he is at work to bring us near to him. The people in Jerusalem that day, they, they didn't understand. They didn't understand what they were seeing in Jesus. They didn't understand what they were doing in honoring him. But here's the irony. They desperately wanted a king and a savior who would save them from their oppressors, change the course of their lives, and establish a kingdom of their own. And that's, what, that's precisely what Jesus came to do. Christ our King, our Savior, comes on a donkey. He heads to the cross to sacrifice his life for us, to save us from our sin and death, and open the door to eternal life in heaven. He came to do all those things that they wanted, but he did it with an eternal perspective and with their spiritual life in mind. He didn't come to meet our expectations, beloved. He came to meet our needs. Let's pray. (laughs) 
Lord, I pray that you would use these words, Lord, use your scriptures to bring clarity to our, our minds and our hearts. Lord, our, our society, our world, even ourselves, Lord, we have so many misunderstandings about who you are. And I pray, Lord, that you would help clarify these things. You would um, bring clarity to our, our spirits and our souls. You know, if you have never given your life to Christ, if you have come today to find out what this is about or to, to come to church to learn or to listen, but you're not a Christian, I want to give you the opportunity now. Jesus, our King, came to bring salvation to those who would receive him. Not a fix for all of our earthly problems. Not to meet every expectation that we might have or every, everything that we might want for but to free us from our sin and spiritual death that we might be reconciled to the Heavenly Father. And he invites people, he continually invites us into his kingdom and into his family. So I'm going to just leave a moment of silence now. And it's not so much the words that you say, but your heart's intentions and the things that you, you think and believe. And if you want to receive Jesus into your life, yeah, I want you to pray. And I want you to just talk to God and pray and open your heart to him. But pray these, pray these, three, these three things. <laughs> to ask for forgiveness ask for forgiveness for your sins and your rebellion against God. To accept that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was made for you. To receive that. And then to ask him to come into your heart. To come into your heart as your Lord and Savior. And if you have prayed this prayer, praise God, you are a child of God. And I would ask that you let me know or you let one of our prayer counselors know. You let Pastor Corey know. We would love to rejoice with you and to begin walking with you as you walk with the Lord. And if you just, you need more of Jesus in your life, I just want to give you the opportunity, invite you to pray that as well. To ask for Jesus to come and to flood your life, to reveal himself to you more clearly, and to weigh on your heart, and to move you and shape you into the person he wants you to be.
Lord, thank you. Thank you for being a God who loves, a God who cares, a God who is focused, Lord, on carrying out your eternal plan and purpose. Father, thank you for being a, a, a God of, of faith and of trust and of courage, Lord, to go to the cross for us. And so as we enter into Holy Week, we pray that you would continue to minister to us. You would help us to look toward the cross, to be washed in your blood, and to rejoice in your, your resurrection. But thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward, as well as the prayer counselors. And if you would like prayer for anything, I invite you to, to come up and pray with our prayer counselors during the closing song or after, after the worship service.